I'm Amy Pruitt. I'm Lisa Dumas. I teach Ayurveda and yoga. I teach yoga. I'm a yoga therapist in training, and I offer transformational coaching. But that's just part of the story. We're moms, daughters, wives, and friends. We're always learning, and we've both experienced healing by what we teach. And the intention of this podcast is to offer you our favorite tools from the traditions and sciences that support us as we navigate the realities and stressors of modern life. Each week, we'll share stories, answer your questions, and talk to others who inspire us. Welcome to the Radiant Warrior Podcast. Yoga and Ayurveda to reclaim a courageous heart. So first, I just want to say thank you to everyone who is downloading and listening to this podcast. We couldn't be more honored that that's happening. Yes, thank you. It seems very surreal. And I feel especially honored because I've started to get messages from people sharing with me their stories with anxiety. In episode two, I shared the years that I struggled with an anxiety disorder. And it's funny because I've been talking pretty openly about that for the last eight or so years. But I remember when I first came clean about the fact that I struggled for so many years with chronic episodes of panic and an anxiety disorder, when I would share it, I would feel those familiar sensations of trembling and fear throughout my body because the shame runs so deep. And for 15 years, I hid that this this very big thing was happening in my life, that I was terrified all the time, that I was in private having these attacks that felt like I could die at any moment. And the writer Brene Brown and shame researcher Brene Brown has brought this into the ether a little bit that the more we talk about something, the less power it has. And that's so true. I, I'm really present to the fact that I'm living that reality Because when I started to talk about it, especially when I would share it with my yoga students, I would feel this rush of total unease as if something bad was going to happen to me just by sharing it. Mm -hmm. And now when I speak about it, it feels very natural. And I feel really happy that we are talking about it because not too long ago, I was listening to a podcast and I won't mention the name of it. Well, because I can't remember right now, but the host was a celebrity. He'd been a, a character in a, in a popular show, and he revealed that he had struggled with anxiety. And when he revealed it, there was such that his voice was different. There was such a sense of shame mm. as if he was saying that something was terribly wrong with him. And I can relate to how helpless a feeling is when we're right in the center of that. So on today's episode, we're going to focus a little bit more on this big word anxiety that's become a buzzword almost. And in one respect, that's good because there's more awareness around mental health in our society. There's more resources and it's normalizing it. But on the other hand, what I see is a lot of people defining themselves and characterizing them by having anxiety, this being somehow a part of them, or defining themselves based on anxiety, calling it their anxiety. And again, that's nothing bad or wrong, but I know that you and I would like to start off this conversation by just reminding anybody who's listening 
whether you've struggled or you know somebody who struggled, it's so important to remember that you are much more than anxiety. Mm-hmm. Just like any other emotion, uh, jealousy, joy, sadness, anger, it's, it's a state of weather. It's, it's something that's passing. It's something that you're experiencing. And what I've come to learn, and it's something, and it may be hard to hear it like this if you're right in the middle of it, but what I've come to learn is it's something that's a gift because it's our body's way of getting our attention to let us know that just something is out of balance that we need to listen to and that we need to tend to, but it doesn't mean that we have done something to cause it. And it doesn't mean that we are bad or broken or unworthy in any way. And I just, I can't say that enough. Yeah. The identity piece is huge for me that, that people are so much more than any condition, emotion, diagnosis, you know, that that doesn't define who they are, that they are so much more than that. And speaking of definition, I thought it would be helpful actually looked up like official definition of anxiety. And then I want to talk about how we relate with it because I also think because it's become such this, a big word in society that it's an umbrella for a lot of things that we might not even need to call anxiety. So one of the definitions here is a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. So that feels like mild to me and and something that we all share. But this next definition feels more real to me. A nervous disorder characterized by a state of excessive uneasiness and apprehension, typically with compulsive behavior or panic attacks. People with anxiety disorders frequently have intense, excessive, and persistent worry and fear about everyday situations. Often, anxiety involves repeated episodes of sudden feeling of intense anxiety and fear or terror that reaches a peak within minutes. So that's what I can relate with. And I'm not sure if I've shared here that I never got a official diagnosis because I was in too much shame to go and get help for a long time. I was just really suffering behind closed doors. But that definition is how I relate with the term anxiety. It felt like I was engulfed in an impending sense of doom. And the word terror, I really resonate with that. I felt terrorized. And I've also heard it described as this tumble of chaotic thoughts that we're not questioning. And I can relate with that. I wasn't questioning what that what was going on. I just wanted it to stop. And I spent all my time trying to do things to make myself feel better. How do you relate with this term anxiety? For me, anxiety shows up as kind of this undercurrent of, of worry, of hypervigilance, of a physical sensation you know, I feel my heart beat faster and I feel my breath get shorter and quicker. Anxiety for me is a rapid movement of the mind. My mind starts moving a lot quicker and I feel like I have a looser grasp on certainty. I feel like 
when I feel anxious, it's usually situational. I don't tend to have anxiety. The physical sensations or the rapid movement of the mind come out of the blue. It tends to be about like the first definition that you gave worry, usually about people or situations and trying to identify for me actionable steps that I can take. I might not be able to control the situation. I certainly can't control other people, but how could I, what actions could I take in the present moment that might help the situation or recognizing just that I don't have control over everything. Um, But for me, it's that, it's that worry. It's that physical tension in my chest, in my extremities. It's my heart beating faster. And that's how it shows up for me. You mentioned an actual step that can be taken in order to deal with anxiety, because I know that's that's the question for a lot of people that are in the middle of this. Okay, well, we're talking about it, but what do I do? How do I get rid of this? Mm-hmm. And there, there's also, I think, a shift that wants to occur in the way that we relate with this term of anxiety in that we spend a lot of time thinking that it's bad and it's wrong and we have to get rid of it and we have to do something to remedy the situation so we can get back to normal. And I understand that for 15 years, all I wanted to do was get rid of it. And all my inner dialogue was, was screaming, no, 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 just stop. Um, But it's become very clear and there's more information out about this now about the importance of somehow finding some acceptance around this beast. And I just heard about a book and I'll, I'll find out the author's name and the title of it and we'll put it in the show notes because at the moment I, I, I don't know because I haven't read it. A friend of mine just shared it with me, but an author came out with a book and the idea is to befriend the beast to make the beast of anxiety beautiful before healing. And that's, that's my message. And that's what I write about too. That's really important. uh, I've come to understand is allowing a sense of curiosity and become an investigator when it comes to what you're anxious about. But that requires us to be able to step out of the terror and the fear for just a moment and become present enough to take one of the actions that you just mentioned. And I think we talked about that a little bit more in episode two. There are ways that we can calm down enough and become present for just a split second so that we can then take one of the tools out of our tool belt to help us move on to the next step. And that is with long, deep breath. That is with feeling your feet on the ground and looking around and tethering into the present moment. Because what took me a long time to understand is even in the midst of these very scary episodes where my heart was beating to a degree that I didn't even know a heart could beat, that I I was feeling tingling in my hands and cold hands and feet and perspiration and you name it. I mean, just having an episode that made me feel so crazy. In the middle of that, uh, I, it's, it's a challenge, but if I were to look around and see where I was, I, I could come to the realization that everything in that moment 
was okay inside of myself, not so much, but where I was and what was happening around me, I was okay. So if we can come to that present moment, then maybe we have that second where we can ask ourselves the questions that do help. And one of those questions is, what am I thinking? And one of those questions is, what am I feeling? And where am I feeling it? And noticing where you're feeling it in your body. But you mentioned what action needs to be taken. And we both learned that there are these messages and emotions that I find endlessly helpful. And that book is by Carla McLaren. It's called The Language of Emotions. And she talks about the emotion of fear and how we all have, we all have fear. We all have healthy fear. Healthy fear is when I'm riding my bike around my very busy city of Vancouver. I'm alert and I'm aware of the motorists around me and of the traffic signals. And when healthy fear is present, I'm very aware of the next action that needs to be taken. And that's the term you used. But something that we like to teach when it comes to this irrational fear that comes up in anxiety, especially in disordered anxiety, because we are afraid of driving on certain streets. We are afraid of getting on a bus. We are afraid of going into a movie theater. We are afraid of going into a party where there's a lot of people. And if we got real with questioning those fears, we would understand that maybe there isn't anything to be afraid of. So a great question to ask ourselves in the face of those kind of fears are, is to me anyway, what is the most loving action that can be taken here? So for instance, if you're comfortable in sharing something that, you know, brings up some anxiety for you in your life, and if you were to hack into it with that question, okay, what is the most loving action that I can take around this fear? I'd love for you to share and then I'll share. So my history is, is overwork and burnout. And when I do that, I tend to let things, other important things in my life slide. Things that I need to do to take care of myself. There's things of daily living, whether it's paying your bills or doing your taxes or returning emails or returning phone calls. And when I'm in that state of overwork and burnout and I'm letting things pile up around me that need attending to, I get this heightened sense of anxiety, this constant ticking of my brain of things that are to do that I'm not attending to that need my attention that I don't really want to do. You know, I may not want to do any of those things. And returning to that idea of I'm worthy, I'm I deserve to be taken care of. I deserve to do these things for me so that I don't have to worry about them is one way that I can attend to things that I don't want to attend to that are creating worry and anxiety for me. For me, a loving action is I am worthy of love. I deserve to be taken care of. I deserve to care for myself. Reminding myself of those statements then allows me to take action where I am taking care of the things that need attending to and decreasing the amount of stress and worry around myself. And sometimes I'm worthy of taking care of myself means I need to not do more. I need to do less. But that has been a loving action to remind myself that I'm worthy. Mm -hmm. I'm worthy to be taken care of. I am 
worth taking care of. I deserve to take care of myself and then taking care of myself and then putting action behind that. What does that mean? What does it mean to take care of myself? You know, it means that I do the things for my future self that create less stress and worry. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's as boring as doing my taxes or paying my bills or, you know, decreasing the opportunities for stress and anxiety in the future for myself by recognizing that I am worth taking care of. I deserve to be taken care of. Yeah. Self-care isn't just about massages and baths. Self-care is, is taking responsibility for the business of life, taking responsibility for our money and taking responsibility for the things that, that do feel boring, that don't feel like they're any fun because we've been taught that certain things are fun and pleasurable and certain things are uncomfortable. And it's just human nature to resist what feels uncomfortable and move towards pleasure. And there you go. That's why we hate feeling anxious. That's why we want to run from these uncomfortable feelings that are going on in our body and how terrible we feel in our minds. And I'm actually right in the center of this process of what's the most loving action that I can take around a fear that's just come up. And it's actually, it surprised me very much because it's around recording this podcast. I I love podcasts so much and I've I've wanted to throw my hat in the ring for a couple of years talking about anxiety. And I love planning them with you and I love this time of talking with you. But as I just recently mentioned to you, I noticed that I was having some familiar sensations of anxiety in my body when we would record. And I, I wouldn't understand that. It didn't make sense to me. So I spent a couple of weeks sitting with that and trying to figure that out and talking with my husband about it. And I have mentioned that before my entire life changed because of how I wanted to share yoga, I was in radio since the time I was 19 years old. I went to a broadcasting college and I got my first job pretty quickly after I left college early, in fact, because I was so audacious at that time and so confident. I just wanted to start. I drove this little car to the small town and I did the news there and I reported on the town council and I answered the phone. It was just, it was just the most amazing experience. And I came into radio at a pretty good time because managers were just realizing that women were more important than simply a sidekick on the morning show. So they were hiring women for other day parts. And so I climbed the rungs, if you will, very quickly. And if I look back, probably too quickly. I was in Toronto by the time I was 24 years old. And this, that career of mine, that work of mine was instrumental in triggering an anxiety disorder because even though a part of me was very excited and loved the work I was doing, another part of me was afraid every single time I was on the microphone because I was learning that managers were listening and then they were calling you into their offices and telling you how you needed to be better all the time. And yeah, I, did, I, I wasn't aware of my authority figure issues that came from childhood and all of this. All I knew is that it, 
I was clearly internalizing it as though I was being bad. You know, as, as I wasn't measuring up, as I wasn't being good. And so I started to become engulfed in how I could measure up and, and how I could be good. And I started to feel quite fearful of especially certain authority figures when I was in Toronto. This, this was the big show, I suppose, and it was a highly competitive market. And I felt held to a very high standard that I and myself didn't feel that I could ever meet. And it's all tied to speaking into a microphone. It's all tied to your voice, your personality. <laughs> and so uh, it stripped away what little confidence that I had that was propping me up so that I could even do this every day. And, and to the point where I doubted everything that I said and everything that I did, unfortunately. And I did mention this on episode two. Some people have the constitution where they have tons of resilience and those kind of meetings would make them stronger. It didn't for me, mm-hmm. for whatever reason, for whatever my makeup and my wiring and, and my childhood, it didn't for me. And so what I've come to understand is that even though that's a long time ago now, um, I left radio when I was 30 and now I'm about to be 47. This act of talking into a microphone again, it, it's clearly a memory that my body is having. Mm-hmm. You know, we spoke about that, that book by Bessel van der Kolk, The Body Keeps the Score. Our bodies are this big memory bank. And I am in real time going through that. My body's like, wait a minute. When, when we do this, this is really scary. <laughs> and I have some really scary scary stories about that time, um, about having panic attacks when I was on the air, you know, not live on the air. There was a song playing and about all the different things that would trigger me. Like, I don't know if it's still the case. If I have anybody listening who's still in radio, you've got to tell me. But in the control rooms, there would be this, this telephone, like the bat phone. And that's where the listeners would call in I love that part. That was my favorite part, talking to listeners and talking about the music. That's why I wanted to go into radio. I just love music so much. And I love sharing music with other people. Um, And I love hearing other people's stories. But when those phones would ring and it was the boss calling, the program director calling, or the station owner calling because they needed to, well, in my case, give you a real-time criticism the phone would flash like a strobe light so that, so that you wouldn't miss it. <laughs> and so I came to associate that strobe light with this impending sense of doom. And I had some tough, some, some tough managers, some people that, that were really tough on me. There wasn't the management skills of maybe offer a compliment and then give some constructive criticism and then another compliment and let them be feeling good. That was not the management style specifically when I was working in Toronto. It was very tough and it was very emotional. And um, yeah, confidence was stripped away. So because I'm in the center of this understanding, here are, here's what's helping. First of all, for me, a loving action to take is to take an action because for a long time 
the anxiety that I experienced caused me to avoid the things that made me afraid until my life got so small. And so I hid from a lot of life. I hid and canceled on a lot of opportunities. I rejected a lot of opportunities. I didn't drive anymore. You know, that started first. I wouldn't drive on certain streets or highways. And then I just stopped wanting to drive on my own. So you can see all the different ways that I limited my life and also all the different ways that I was entrenching anxiety. I was making it right. I was following along. I was listening. So I was just increasing the grooves of fear in my life. So the loving action I'm taking for myself now is just continuing to show up to our weekly calls and do this because every time I'm afraid of something and then I do it, I always feel stronger after. And if I continue to do it, like offering yoga over and over and over and over, then it's just that I, it's like I'm showing fear or this irrational fear. You don't have this power over me. And so today I I don't feel that. I don't feel that in my body. I'm just talking to my friend, Amy, and I feel fine. So one loving action for me that I'm taking is I'm showing up for myself and I am not allowing fear to stop me. And then the next loving action that I'm taking is I think there's probably some processing that needs to go on around those years of my life that I think I've blocked out. And I think there's some forgiveness that I need to do for myself and let myself off the hook for not being who I thought I needed to be and not being good, good enough, I guess. I was. 19. Mm-hmm. A baby. You know, really just left home in an, in an unhealthy way, just wanting to leave that situation and not having anything figured out, not having anything figured out. And then trying to navigate this world of pleasing the authority figures around me. And that just wasn't going to happen. Looking for love and acceptance and validation outside of myself in all different ways for a really long time. And that got super exhausting. Mm -hmm. And we we know like, you know, on a physical level, that's what's going on. We're just, we're just taxing our nervous systems and that fight or flight part of my nervous system was so activated, like all the time from the first time I, drove away from the house at 19 to go move into that small town by myself, which by the way, I lost my best friend over that because she came with me and she was like, I cannot believe that you are going to leave the city and come move here. But to me, I was, I was just chasing my dreams. To me, it was so exciting and I miss that part of me, but I feel like I'm becoming now, finally, at almost 47, reacquainted with the 18-year-old who got in that car and couldn't wait for her life to begin. And I feel sad that I feel like I lost some of those years to fear, but I, I have to believe that there's a purpose around that, especially since I can speak about it now. And, and maybe it might be helpful to, 
I feel very honored to work with clients and to, and to work with classrooms of people and uh, many times during each week and to teach from this lens of how we can overcome so much of the programming and the conditioning and the belief that we have to do so much in order to be good. So if you had 18 or 19 year old Lisa sitting in front of you right now, or the Lisa that was immersed in that fearful state with the, you know, the managers and the directors who would yell and scream, what would you say to her now? Well, the 18-year-old that was so excited to start this radio career to embark on it, I wish I could say to her, you are not too big. You are not too loud. You are not too much. You are not hard. You are not hard to love. You are not too much. Just you shine, baby. Mm -hmm. <laughs> shine. Yeah. And then at around 24... <laughs> And I feel like I had dimmed that light and just like fetal posture <laughs> <laughs> in this tiny studio apartment in Toronto drinking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What would you say to her? Oh. Oh, my God. You don't have to try so hard. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. You have so much to offer and you can just let go of trying so hard. I mean, I wish I would tell, I wish I would be able to tell her, God, what people think is really not your business. It took me a long time to learn that. I think we'll be learning that forever. That's just deep in our wiring, that shame piece, you know, once upon a time, we needed to care. We needed to really care what other people thought because we would be kicked out of our tribe. So I just always want to say that this is embedded in us as human beings, this worry about what people think. And some of us have more resilience towards that than others. I didn't have any, every moment was consumed with just knowing in my bones that they were all thinking these terrible things they were all thinking that I guess it would have boiled down to if I would have known enough to question it they were just all thinking that I was bad so I would tell her and this was one of the most healing moments in the course that you and I met in that we've already shared in a past episode I would tell her that she doesn't have to worry so much about being good that she doesn't have Say that again. <laughs> you don't have to be good. <laughs> you need to hear that right now, too. Yes, you don't have to be good. <laughs> you don't. You don't no. have to show up and shape shift yourself into anything else in order to be acceptable or likable. Oh, it's so exhausting. It's or so polite. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or quiet enough. Or nice or, enough. Yeah, or smart enough or well-trained enough. Mm-mm. Gross. <laughs> Truly. <laughs> it's so, it's such a relief when we can remind ourselves of that. 
And that might be one of the last things I'll offer because I want to talk about how, how Ayurveda views anxiety because teaching with you has also offered me a lot of extra healing tools. But when we're faced with these fears that we might come to understand are not helping us, they're not the kind of healthy fear that's just keeping us alert and safe. It's the kind of fear that we need to question. And when we start understanding how to calm ourselves down, when we practice being curious rather than resistant, when we practice befriending our bodies and the sensations that our bodies are having and befriending this beast, as that author called it, of this big, scary umbrella word of anxiety, something else that we can do is remember a time where we did feel strong. Because it's true, if we are afraid of something, but we do it anyway, on the other side of that thing, we've changed. We've become more resilient. Resiliency is a muscle. And so we can even visualize, you know, that you've reminded me of a visualization that I think I'm going to bring with me when I start to feel underconfident is remembering the 18-year-old me mm-hmm. who was pretty shiny and still very audacious, who got into that tiny $800 car and drove seven hours away from home on these lonely prairie roads to this tiny town where she didn't know anyone because she had a dream. <laughs> hmm hmm I can remember her because I felt so strong on that drive and so carefree. And I guess innately safe, just innately knowing that everything was going to be okay. And last episode, I shared that moment on the yoga mat. That was the first time that I had felt that way again, probably since then. So what memories can we cultivate because our positive memories are a part of us too. What positive memories of a time when we were strong can we bring to mind when we're feeling weak and afraid? That's also helpful. Do mm-hmm. you have one? Do you have one to share? Memory of strong and capable Amy? Mine is more recent. Um, it was about five years ago. I was coming to a point in my career where I had just hit the brick wall nothing was working. Nothing I was doing was working. I wasn't succeeding at work with my superiors. It just became this constant battle. And it was a very confusing time because I always took great pride in, you know, my status at work. And, and I just feel like the universe was stepping in and saying, this is not for you, baby girl. Look, there's something else out there for you. But I was still trying to fight that and live in the world that I had created or had been created for me. So I had a crisis at work. I ended up quitting my job. I loved my job, but I hated my managers. And like you talked about your directors and your managers at work, how they would just put the fear into you, came to realize that they didn't deserve me anymore. And because they didn't deserve me, because I was a really good nurse and I really loved my patients and I really cared about the work that I was doing. But I was so put in a corner of 
inability to do the right thing. And I tried to work through the system and I tried to create change and I tried to be there, you know, for my coworkers and my patients. And, and I just kept getting pushed further and further back into a corner. Instead of going with the flow, I couldn't do it anymore. And I would speak up and I would be reprimanded and I would be pulled in the office all the time. And I came to the realization that they don't get it. You know, I'm a good person. I'm a good nurse. I'm a good employee. I'm a good coworker. And if they don't honor that, they don't get to have me. Mm-hmm. And I quit. <laughs> and people were shocked and appalled that I would quit. My, I had been at that hospital for 18 years. Mm-hmm. And I called a friend of mine at a different hospital and I said, I need a job. You know, I, I just quit my job. <laughs> and Um, and he very graciously gave me a job, but I had time off in between the two jobs and I had done this radical thing of just quitting my job, quitting my job on the basis that they didn't get to have me anymore. They didn't deserve me not starting my other job. And it was over the course of new year's, the new year's holiday. I had never been without one or two jobs at a time. And I had this period of like a week where I, where I didn't have a job. I didn't have anywhere to be. I didn't have any responsibilities. And so I found a silent retreat and booked it. I'd never done a silent retreat before. I just knew I needed something to bookend this experience that I had had with this awful, you know, leaving of this company and then starting a new, starting what I wanted to be my new life because I was worthy, because if those around me couldn't recognize my worth, then they didn't deserve to have me around. And so I wanted to make this a momentum occasion, momentous occasion. So I booked the silent retreat and I was going to drive in the dead of winter for seven hours, much like your story to this ashram and spend five days in silence. I had never done anything like this. I'd never been in a, on a road trip by myself. I had never gone on vacation by myself. I had never done a silent retreat. I was going to do it all in one shot. And I remember the morning I was leaving, I was delaying leaving. Like I knew I had to get on the road by a certain amount of time to get there before dark. And I was going to be driving through very rural areas and very poor cell service and back roads and and I was delaying leaving because I was afraid because I'd never done anything like this before. I didn't know what, was gonna, what it was going to be like. And, and I finally just threw my bag out the front door and had a conversation with myself. Like, you are so much stronger than this. What is your problem? Like, get your ass in the car and get going. And so I did. And I got in the car and I live in Ohio and I drove through West Virginia. And as soon as I hit West Virginia, I was by myself. I was lost in West Virginia, completely lost. And my GPS wouldn't work. And I, and West Virginia is stunning. It's so beautiful, but there are roads in West Virginia that don't have signs and they're not identified. And I had no idea where I was. And so I had what was supposed to be a seven hour trip turned into like a 12 hour trip. And And it was really a transformation for me of moving through fear 
of this thing I didn't want to do and I was afraid and I was going by myself and I what am I doing I just quit my job and um, now you're gonna get in a car and drive you know to this place that you've never been and you're gonna be in silence and what's that gonna be like and now you're lost in West Virginia what the hell is wrong with you like what are you doing you know you just left your life and now literally you're lost <laughs> in the woods in West Virginia and I had all kinds of opportunity to berate myself and you know chastise myself and shame myself and I didn't you know I said god this is awesome you're amazing like you went you're gone this journey and look at you like you just blew up your life and it's awesome like screw them they don't you know they're gonna be so sorry they don't have you and you you did it and you didn't put up with their bullshit anymore and you walked out and you are okay everything's okay mm -hmm. nothing you didn't die you have another job waiting for you because you are worthy and people will recognize that and you deserve this and isn't it beautiful here in the woods that we're lost in you know mm -hmm. and you're gonna be fine like you're gonna be fine you're gonna find your way out of the woods you're gonna get back on the road and you're gonna make it to the ashram and you're gonna spend five days and it's gonna be beautiful and feeling that strength like course through me like having it was as if somebody else was telling me I see you I hear you mm -hmm. you are worthy you are strong look at you go like keep going and I did and I went and I got to the ashram and it was super late and it was dark and I it was remote and I pulled up you know with my hair that looked like it was on fire because I'd had this journey literally to get there the gentleman who met me at the ashram, I was very frazzled still. I mean, it wasn't like I walked in like Wonder Woman. I still walked in a little beat up and I said, I'm here. He said, we are so glad that you are here. Mm -hmm. And he said it with the most sincerity. And I just started to cry. Like, like we are so glad that you are here. And I was like, yeah, me too. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you have no idea what you know what I have been through to get here and and to feel that love and compassion from a stranger that they were so happy that I was there and I don't think he was you know I mean I'm sure he says it to everybody but you know what I mean like I felt like he was speaking it directly to me and I felt that and it helped to fortify that I was on the right path that I was pulling myself up out of a situation that didn't warrant me being there. I was stronger than what they wanted me to be. And that's why it, it didn't fit because I was moving through that. I wasn't going to be the complacent person that they wanted me to be. I love that you received the words from that gentleman from a place of worth because it, it, it's all a lens. And it sounds to me like you used what is a tool that we can actually practice? And that is you personified an inner resource. You personified this good parent that was cheering you on inside your mind until you felt that strength. That's another really amazing tool that we can offer through this conversation. And you used it organically in that story. Really did such a beautiful job of describing how that 
simple tool of talking to ourselves and being our own best cheerleader can help us to show up for our life and step into who we really want to be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, Amy, Amy, I just have to interrupt for a minute because Cliff needs to take over at 830. I want to transition us into how Ayurveda sees anxiety. So let's just be cognizant and try to be like 15 more minutes here, even though I could talk to you. I love this conversation. I could Mm -hmm. talk to you forever, but just, I just want to put that there. Okay. Okay. Um, so if you have a response to what I just said, that, uh, you, you personified that cheerleader and so that we can really step into who we went to be. I was, I was having that conversation and I was cheering myself on, but you know, I don't want to take away from the fact that it was a two-way conversation. You know, there were still parts of me that were questioning and diminishing and uncertain. Um, so it was definitely a two-way conversation within my head, but I really felt that strength, that part of me that was rising up, that was, was in charge and taking care of all the other parts of me. Like we got this, all the parts of me, we got this, we're going to, we're going to do this and we're going to take care of ourselves, and we are going to step into our worth, be damned everyone else around us who can't see that. And the transition that you made eventually led you into Ayurveda, which is still helping people come back into balance and ease their suffering and helping people heal but this is a modality that you feel a lot more authentic about than you did in the healthcare system. Mm-hmm. And this episode is all about anxiety, everything you wanted to know about anxiety. <laughs> and from a physical standpoint, we know that this is a disorder of our nervous system. And we know that it can come on because of thoughts, but it is also something that can be passed down through families. It can come on because of, um, you know, deficiencies and nutrition and burning the candle at both ends. There's a lot of reasons for it. Mm-hmm. But how does Ayurveda view anxiety? This is very interesting. Ayurveda views anxiety as a disorder of vata. So it's a it's a vata disorder. And we should say that in episode one, we share all about these doshas that um, are part of Ayurveda. They're like these inner constitutions. We all have this mm-hmm. quality of vata that you can describe a little bit more. This is in all of us. Mm-hmm. But what you're saying is when it moves out of balance, we can move into out of balance fear. And I so can relate with that. And one thing that I really love about Ayurveda is nothing is good or bad. Ayurveda does not look at anything as good or bad in anxiety or, or illness or mental health that we attach good or bad health. And in Ayurveda, nothing is good or bad. It just is. Ayurveda looks at anxiety just through how we can bring the body, the mind, the nervous system back into balance. If it's a vata disorder, it has, Ayurveda looks at the qualities of what is driving this um, disorder and vata's qualities, because it's made up of the air and ether element, are cold, dry, mobile, unstable. You can get a sense of that with the anxiety. You feel that movement. You feel that lightness. Like you might just spin off the earth. You know, you don't feel tethered. Ayurveda is looking to balance anxiety by bringing in the opposing qualities. 
the opposite qualities of the cold and the dry and the mobile and the unstable by bringing in qualities of warmth, of moisture, of stability, of denseness. So if you look at those opposite qualities, the stable, the dense, the heavy, the static versus the mobile, start to bring those qualities into your foods, your exercise, your meditation. And what that looks like is if you were going to have a warm, heavy, stable exercise, that would look more like restorative yoga. Mm -hmm. If you were going to have heavy, warm, moist, dense foods, that would be very different from eating like raw foods or salads or a lot of fruit or a lot of sugar, you would want foods that are heavy in nature, you know, grains, or maybe even adding some meat, um, adding the sweet taste is, is beneficial to counteracting the qualities that drive anxiety. And so Ayurveda looks at anxiety as how can we bring those qualities that drive anxiety, coldness, dryness, lightness, mobility, instability, how can we bring in the opposing qualities? Staying warm is one thing in Ayurveda that, that we recommend for somebody who has anxiety because the coldness and the dryness can exacerbate anxiety. So staying warm, and that seems so simple, but if you look at the way people dress or the things that they drink that could be driving anxiety, that what, they might not make that connection. Um, so it's neither good or bad. It's just bringing in the opposing qualities into all of our activities, our foods, our meditations, our asana practice that are the opposite quality of the things that drive anxiety. Does that make sense? Well, it makes so much sense to me because in the height of it for me, the exercise that I was doing was long distance running yeah, <laughs> yes, and, and not stretching. Yeah. Uh, I had not, no, not staying still. No, never. And my schedule was not stable. I was in radio. And so I worked some nights. I worked some evenings. I worked until midnight. I wasn't getting to sleep until two or three. I was eating at odd hours. So and there was nothing about my life that was stable. I didn't feel stable. I was living in new cities. I didn't have a stable community. I didn't feel protected. Mm-hmm. And I was probably following whatever... Uh, weight loss regime was out there and, and having smoothies and crackers, you know, things that are cold and things that are dry. And we're all just doing our best. You know, we're, we're doing what we think we need to do to be healthy. And anxiety is another sensation that comes up sometimes around nutrition and all of the information out there. We have information overload when it comes to what we should put on our body and what we should put on our body. And Mm -hmm. one of the reasons that I love Ayurveda is Again, you said it's not good or bad. We're not making any recommendations. We're not making anybody wrong, but it's just planting the seed because it makes so much sense. And also I can see how making the changes that I made just because of yoga, not because of Ayurveda or following any rules, helped me to counterbalance all the cold and the unstable and the mobile. Because even though the practice that I was doing was not restorative, there were some very long held standing poses in Mm -hmm. 
a particular class that I would go to and my body was warming up and I was feeling very stable on my feet and very strong in my legs and then bringing meditation and just sitting and being still, those things started to calm me down. So it makes a lot of sense what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And one thing you brought up too was travel. Travel can be excessively exacerbating to anxiety because you are literally flinging your body, you know, whether it's in a moving car or a airplane, you know, you're flinging your body at high rates of speed from one destination to another. And so people don't think about travel too, but travel in itself, just the motion of travel can be really difficult for those who struggle with anxiety. We should talk about that briefly because I now travel a lot. In fact, we're recording this and in two days, I'm actually heading to Mexico on a women's retreat. After 10 years of leading retreats and teaching workshops, I'm actually going to go and just receive one. So I'm so excited. Um, I'm so excited that you're doing this. But um, one of the reasons that I'm so purposefully traveling all the time is because when I was so anxious, I was avoiding travel. I was Mm -hmm. avoiding getting on airplanes. I was not buying airplane tickets. I was so afraid in an airplane. It was... it was all like I have left. I have left airplanes before they have taken off because I've been so in in a state of irrational fear and terror. Well, and, and it's and it's not irrational. Your body is already out of balance with that motion, and your body knows that you're about to then layer on, you know, a hundred times more motion, mm-hmm. and and so it's a very rational response to walk away from that because you're already out of balance and you're trying to add more imbalance. And it's not to say that people should never travel. It's just to build your resilience before you do travel. And if you are in a heightened state of anxiety, maybe travel less or don't travel until you're able to bring that back into balance. Well, for me, I had this deep longing to have adventure and to see the world, which is a big part of my personality. And so I did force myself to take flight after flight after flight. And this is just another case of now I get so excited and I feel a sense of resilience and power and victory almost that I can be on an airplane and I can be completely enjoying the fact that I get to listen to meditations and read and get some work done Mm -hmm. and enjoy myself completely. I don't have to clean up after anyone. I don't have to do any laundry. I, I don't have to serve anybody else. I'm just forced to sit and be still. And it's such a sea change from fleeing off of airplanes to absolutely loving the entire experience. So where I'm going with this is that, first of all, that makes me feel very proud of myself that I just kept buying airplane tickets because I realized that fear was stealing so much of my life and I wasn't willing to have it steal some of these adventures that I want to go on and the fact that I want to see the world. So now that I am where I am and I do feel a lot of resilience around shame and I feel a lot of resilience around this term of anxiety, it's almost like I want to make up for lost times and I'm always planning travel. And so for somebody like me who's traveling a lot or at this time of year, I know that, that people have trips on the books. What can I do to support myself so that I'm not pushing Vata, this quality of air and ether, 
out of balance and I can stay stable. So again, bringing in, if you know that you, that you will be traveling, really doubling down on practices that bring in the warmth, the moisture, the stability, the groundedness. Sleep is one thing that we tend to deprive ourselves around travel. We are up late the night before we travel, packing or getting ready, and then we're up early at the airport, you know, catching a flight. And so we, if we can get really vigilant first around our sleep, our rest and restoration before we travel, which can be difficult because of time, but just noting that and not cutting ourselves too short and allowing ourselves a lot of time and space around travel um, can help. Staying warm, bringing warm clothes for the plane, wearing scarves, wearing you know fluffy socks, wearing comfortable clothes um, that feel heavy and give us that sense of groundedness can help even when we are traveling. Drinking warm liquids on the plane, um, you know, they come around with the cart and they're always bringing soda, which has that light bubbly quality, which can exacerbate vata. So drinking warm teas or hot water on the plane can help. Doing a self-oil massage before we get on the plane, you know, the day of, the morning of, coating our body literally in this warm, heavy liquid, you know, to moisturize our skin and create that grounded boundary before we travel. And then doing it again when we arrive at our destination, again, doing like a really lovely self-oil massage of warm oil that feels heavy and restores that moisture and that ojas into our, our system can help replenish whatever was depleted by our travel. Finding or bringing foods with you that are warm and easy to digest um, instead of eating the pretzels and the peanuts um, you know, on the plane um, can be helpful. Just the small things, small little things. How could I bring heavy, warm, dense, mobile qualities into this experience? Okay. Well, I got to go get my scarf, <laughs> my <laughs> travel bag. Um, great conversation, Amy. Thanks for sharing all of that with me today. Yes, my pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Radiant Warrior podcast. If you found it valuable, please leave us a positive review to help others find it. And please check out the Radiant Warrior podcast on Instagram and Facebook to leave us your questions and find out where you can come and practice with us next.